e-commerce, SEO, content, AI. All these threads are coming together. And if you are trying to figure out best practices in e-commerce marketing post chat GPT, this special interview is going to give you all you need to know today on this next episode of the Your Digital Marketing Coach Podcast. Digital, social media, content influencer, marketing, blogging, podcasting, vlogging, TikToking, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, SEO, SEM, PPC, email marketing. Whew. There's a lot to cover. Whether you're a marketing professional, entrepreneur, or business owner, you need someone you can rely on for expert advice. Good thing you've got Neil on your side. Because Neil Schaefer is your Your digital digital marketing marketing coach. coach. Helping you grow your business with digital first marketing, one episode at a time. This is your digital marketing coach, and this is Neil Schaefer. We talk a lot about AI, ChatGPT, and the effects that it has on various types of marketing. But what about the impact that it can and should have on e-commerce marketing. Well, today I am honored to have a very special guest who is one of the foremost experts on e-commerce marketing, and we are going to talk really solely about the use of AI with e-commerce. And I feel really bad because I know it's really early where she is in uh, Australia, down under. So Katrina, McKinnon, welcome to the live stream edition of the Your Digital Marketing Coach podcast. Neil, what a great introduction. I'm excited. Let's talk for 14 hours about this one topic, shall we? Yes, I know um, you talk a lot of shop. So I think before we get started, I always like, and I think the viewers and listeners always like to know the backstory of how did you get into e-commerce marketing to begin with? I know you've been at it for a while, but uh, how did it all get started? Oh, way back when. I won't give you the whole story, but suffice to say that I started with e-commerce quite a few years ago when IBM was selling its own Shopify version, but it was $200,000 a year for a license. So, you know, we might complain about Shopify being, oh gosh, $100 a month or something, but we used to run a whole team of developers and it was $200,000 a year to run this. And um, at the time, you know, we would sell, you know, electronic goods online. We were doing a million dollars a month. My father said to me, you know, if you can, if you can sell things online, you know, you'll make a million dollars. And so that's what I've done over the years is I've run my own e-commerce stores. But the one thing that I loved more than shipping product from here to there or, you know, serving sort of customers with, you know, this thing's broken or can I get another one of these was I loved SEO and I loved creating content. And that's how we built our own store. So I ran a little e-commerce store and um, we had a drop shipping model and it was all organic traffic. And I bought my little house with all of the money that I made from that store. It was just a, it was a passive income. It just sort of cruised through. And again, it was uh, run on big commerce for a few hundred dollars a month. And um, because it was all free organic traffic, you know, it enabled me to buy my house. So that's kind of like a little potted history of, you know, converted from selling to absolutely working out how I loved marketing it with content, especially. And that's how I am here today. 
So what were you selling again at that store that allowed you to buy your house? Yeah, the most, the worst, most impractical, dumbest thing ever, which shows that idiotic ideas can work. We sold Fidget spinners. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> we sold gazebos. So, but they're the portable market stall gazebos. So they're those ones that, you know, they fold down. They're really tall. They're very heavy. They're expensive. They break, especially in the post, you know, um, in with couriers. So we sold this thing, but we became the number one seller of this product. And I'll give like just a little tip for the audience if anyone's thinking of getting into e-commerce. The way we made our money was the accessories. So the key product that we sold was the gazebo. And let's say it was $395. It was always the same price. And we always had to compete with everyone in the market for the same sort of product. But what we did was the little arms, the struts, because these gazebos are outside and it's a windy day at the markets, you know, the the fresh food market, these things get broken in the wind or getting thrown in the car. And so we actually made all our money by selling the replacement struts, by selling the replacement legs, by selling the sandbags that would hold it down. So I would say to anyone, like if you've got a completely idiotic product like I did, which was heavy and big and cumbersome, sometimes like that's, it's it's not a lost leader, if you know what I mean, but you kind of, you peg your store on that, but then you literally make your money from the accessories because people will say, oh, I don't mind paying $30 for that broken struck because it's worth it to get my $400 gazebo working again. So we sold thousands and thousands and thousands of struck replacements, leg replacements. So there's a hot tip for the audience. Amazing. Not only are you an e-commerce expert, but also just a savvy businesswoman. So well done. The second question I wanted to ask you about that experience, which I think hints at what we're going to be talking about today, is this concept of organically, you were able to make that money. So I also have e-commerce clients and for every one of them, I'm recommending content, content. And I know that your agency is all about that. So I know we, we, you know, we're on the same wavelength here. I'm curious what got you to think about content, especially because it's gazebos. And then what type of content did you end up publishing that ended up generating that organic traffic, which helped you buy the home that you're in right now? So one of the things that we did was we had a type of content called 101 Ways to Gazebo. And it was literally 101 little photos of gazebos in um, market stalls or, you know, in someone's backyard at a pool party or whatever it was at a wedding. And it was really just showing the potential customers what the potential of this product was, how they could use it. So that was one thing we did. And we found that when you put a lot of unique images into your store, Google pays a lot of attention and you can sometimes hack your way to the top of the image search. So there are a lot of people out there who like searching and then reading the answer. And like me, visual learners, there are millions, millions of people who love going and looking at images to get their education. And so what we learned was that you can hack your way into the sort of the the search results, not in that everyone's competing on these text search results. Not many people were competing for images, image search results. So again, we just made a lot of visual content and we were able to hack our way to the top with that. And approximately what year was this, just to put it in context? 
I'm going to say it was 10 years ago. I'll say it was like maybe 10 years ago, but we still use that strategy now. So we did that recently for a client. There's a fellow, uh, Rocky Kanaka, and he sells, he, he runs a YouTube channel and he helps find homes for dogs that are in shelters. So, you know, dogs that have been abandoned, you know, wonderful guy. And we noticed that he was selling these toys online. He was trying to fund his charity by selling these toys online. And we noticed that the word Puppuccino uh, had 38,000 searches every single month. And then so we literally created, again, a page that had 101 photos of dogs having a Puppuccino. And they're hilarious. You know, they're absolutely the cutest things you've ever seen. Whereas everyone on the internet was making how to make a Puppuccino recipe or where to buy a Puppuccino. So we took the opposite tack and said, well, we won't, that's already covered, but what we will do is we'll spread joy and we'll just give people this beautiful content. And like, this is your whole thing about marketing can be fun, right? And so this Amen. page, yeah, this page of Puppuccinos, we're ranking um, the article, they seem to have broken their site at the moment, but that particular article has ranked in the between number six and number three position for a year and a half. Wow. And it's fun. And, you know, he sells a Puppuccino squeaky toy. So the brand awareness that he gets, because it's fun, you know, like not all content has, not all marketing has to be serious. Like if you go to the page, there's this chihuahua with its eyes, you know, bulging and it's like, it's got this silly face on it and it's having a Puppuccino and you laugh. And so it works. Yeah, brilliant. And I can see, you know, when I asked about the timing, obviously before Pinterest was very popular, but now I I just imagine Pinterest and Instagram, and I know we're not going to talk about social media marketing, but considering that you had the images back then, I'm sure there's a lot of uh, really cool things you could be doing today with that same imagery. Yeah, absolutely. One more thing I'll say, Neil, is like when you do this kind of marketing with images, we've got a client, for example, who sells fountain pens. And we noticed that, again, handwriting styles was a very popular keyword. And so we created an article that just showed the handwriting styles of the rich and famous. So when you can combine really fun pop culture, and so at the time, you know, there was this there's this lady called Meghan Markle. I'm sure the American audience are, are familiar with her. She married a prince from England. She had this um, letter that was written to her father and her handwriting was beautiful. And what we did was we thought, well, that's an idea. And then we went through penmanship porn in Reddit and we literally found all the top upvoted images in penmanship porn because, you know, the audience has already spoken. They've already said they love these images and we collated them. So we've got this article for this client that's just got the most beautiful handwriting styles. And again, it's after, I don't know, maybe two years, it's still his top performing post in terms of attracting traffic brand awareness. And again, again, Neil, it's just a bit of fun. It's not serious stuff. And you know, when, before we started the recording, you had, you had asked if I had seen like something on Reddit. So, you know, I immediately was like, whoa, but leveraging Reddit for that type of research is really, uh, it's something that I haven't done. I, I hear a lot of people talk about, uh, but a good reminder for everyone listening that Reddit can be a treasure trove. And I'm sure we could have a separate episode on that, but I want to yeah. stick with commerce. And, and I think what you talk about there hints at something that we wanted to talk about today, which is 
you are really big on not just content for e-commerce, but that you need to have an SEO strategy for your e-commerce marketing and that it goes beyond just your product pages. So can you, let's dig a little bit deeper into what that means for the e-commerce marketers out there. Sure. So one of the things that I see all the time, and you know, again, it's one of these sort of idiotic things that you want to slap yourself over the forehead with, but um, I see it all the time where people don't write about their product as the very first thing that they do. So let's say, you know, you're selling fountain pens. I'll take that example as fountain pens because I've got a pen here, but you're selling fountain pens. And it's a remarkable how many people don't just simply start with what is a fountain pen? How do I clean a fountain pen? How long should a fountain pen last? What, you know, how should I use a fountain pen? They literally don't start with the product. Instead, they start writing about, you know, I don't know, handwriting styles or all sorts of wild things. You know, we had a client who sells boat navigation lights. And again, he was writing all of this stuff about how to look after your boat or how to clean your boat. And we were sort of trying, we were saying to him, you, but you don't sell boats. You sell navigation lights for boats. So why not talk about that first? And the reason is that Google is still kind of a dumb engine. Google wants to come to your website and the first thing it wants to know is what is it that you sell? Imagine like a salesperson, you know, like a someone who's knocking on your door or coming to your, you know, to your house to sell you something. And they talk about how the sun is shining brightly today and that the weather is going to be clear for a few days. And then you're like, why, why are you here? And they say, oh, that's right. I sell solar panels. So people like to know, as does Google, what is it that you sell? So I would say that the reason why an SEO strategy is very important is because, um, you often overlook many of those fundamentals because you're sort of so busy running your business and many other things that it pays to have a professional really come in, have a fresh take, a fresh look at your business and your SEO strategy and say, oh, by the way, we forgot the fundamentals. Yeah. You know, it's funny for every e-commerce client I've had, there's always this, like you said, what is a fountain pen? Benefits of a fountain pen, fountain pen versus... There's all these like classic evergreen keywords that, that actually have search volume that most companies just completely neglect. So I, I could not agree with you more. And I'm curious, as we delve a little bit deeper into this, this concept of SEO for e-commerce, it then comes down to content creation. And you mentioned, you know, images, blog posts, obviously you have product pages. I'm curious now as we, you know, get into the topic of today, which is AI. You know, how do you foresee content creation in e-commerce with AI working? You know, what are the types of content that you can leverage an AI for? Maybe what are the types that you shouldn't leverage an AI for? And I'm really curious to hear your opinion because any Shopify, you know, owner probably sees these new apps that will, you know, leverage visual AI to generate these really cool looking images of your product in various backgrounds. Um, they don't have humans, obviously, um, but they look pretty compelling. But I'm just curious, um, you know, how far would you go with AI for your e-commerce clients? Yeah, I think that's a great um, point that you make. I think that generating a picture with AI of your product in a different background is a fantastic use of AI. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that because the the core aspect of your product being front and center is still going to remain. The type of content that you can produce with AI is things like what is a fountain pen? What is my product best of, um, you know, best use for my product, um, my product versus this product? 
The other thing you can do with AI is you can basically feed the AI all the product reviews. Let's say you've got thousands of product reviews from your store, from your product, or let's say you sell the same fountain pen as another competitor. You can also mine their product reviews and you can find out what people like about that particular product or what they don't like about that product. And that kind of information can then be reflected back to buyers to say, well, we know that 85% of buyers really liked the the sparkly glitter, you know, ink that came out of the fountain pen, but they weren't so keen on the torch that came, you know, embedded in the the pen. And so you can mine that data with the AI to get those kinds of insights and then use it in your content. But I would say that one of the things I don't think people realise is, I mean, well, I think they do actually, Neil, is that it's this whole snake eating its tail. The AIs are creating all this kind of very basic content out there that the AI then has to consume again. But the AIs and Google, as well as people, are going to be looking for unique perspectives on, well, how do I use this fountain pen or what, you know, what really resonates about this particular product with my audience that's completely unique to me and this business. And in fact, Google has just released a um, it's just released a new blog article or policy about misrepresentation. And the, the real key to this is representation. And it has literally said, what is unique and compelling about your product, about your business that no one knows about it just yet? And so again, Google, uh, people buy from people. I mean, I know there's a lot in here, but you've got to segment it by Anything that's like a dictionary definition or anything like that's a, like a, a very basic, you know, how do I use this product that's common knowledge can be used. Uh, you can use AI for that. Anything that is very specific to your business or the way your business operates or the way your particular product operates, or even if your product is brand new and you want to put a spin on it, that sort of stuff still needs to be helped by AI to structure it but ideally, ultimately written by a person. That makes a lot of sense. I've heard of some, you know, Amazon sellers that will literally, you know, get their top five competitors, you know, the bullet points in which they, you know, product features, and then basically, you know, put it into AI and pick the five most popular, you know, ones and reword them in a certain way. So, I mean, from research and data mining, to the actual creation, there's a lot of different phases there. And I think that, you know, every company has to have what I call an AI policy, how far they're going to go with it. But I think what you say makes a lot of sense. And it's it's interesting that, you know, what you talk about Google, and and I wanted to ask you about that as well. We know that they've added this other E, this experience, you know, EAT. And you figure that's the only way to go and battle the AI, which is going to serve what I would call vanilla content. You said very generic content. You know, what is special? Because anybody can just do AI and create that content. But what's special about your company, your products, your history? And I think in some ways, AI will require us to be more human, right? Almost as a result of it. Yeah. In order to, and, you know, I I don't know about you, but I've already had some people on my blog say, hey, Neil, this sounds like it was AI written, even though it was written like three years ago, right? So um, I think people also have you know, they, they don't want to be, they don't want to talk to a bot, right? They want to talk to a human and that has to be representing your content. So that's really, really great advice. Yeah. And if you think about like social media is all very engaging and entertaining, 
people still want to be engaged and entertained on your website with your blog content or your product descriptions. And so that comes back to the humanness that you're talking about. And it comes back to having a little bit of fun and creativity with the creation of content. And AI cannot truly be creative and it can't be fun. It can't create a quirky tone of voice and it can't really create a genuine connection with people because people buy from people. But I think these lessons are there in the growth of social media, uh, social content, you know, TikToks, all of that sort of thing where people love being entertained. And that engagement when you, and it doesn't always have to be fun if you're a serious brand, but engagement is key, absolutely so important for creating brand awareness. And that's the thing where the AI is lacking at the moment. At the moment, only the people can really put that flavor into content. Yeah, amen. I, I couldn't agree more. I'm curious since we sort of talked about Google, and I know one of the things that you wanted to talk about was this concept of future proofing AI generated content in e commerce marketing against Google penalties. That sounds like a lot. I'm sure for you it's yeah. it's not, but uh, just curious as to, you know, as you begin to use AI for, you know, maybe short copy doesn't need to be as, as emotional or, or human facing, you know, I, I say technical manuals, they don't sound like humans anyway. So AI may be perfect for something like that, but, but I'm just curious, how do you future proof against those penalties? Is it using this more creative language, more emotional you know, tone, uh, is that the key or are there other missing pieces? So Google has had this same stance for 10 years and nothing's changed. You know, 10 years ago, people were generating very low quality content out of, um, you know, uh, content farms in India or wherever it was. So we, we've had this problem forever. It's just that AI has enabled more people to create more junk content. So for years, years, big publishers, for, for four or five years, big publishers have been using AI to generate um, content. And then before that, affiliate players and content marketers for years have been doing this as well. So there's nothing new. So Google is, is sticking to the same stance, and that is literally create quality content, whatever that means for your audience. So a few really actionable things is make sure that there's three or four key takeaways at the top of an article to help someone understand what the rest of the article is about. That can be generated with AI. It's okay to have that generated by AI. AI is very good at that. You can also put tables into content, blog articles, product pages, about pages. When you put a table in, it is an indicator to Google and perhaps also the reader that this isn't just AI-generated spam that's just been dumped on the page, that someone's actually added one more little thing. The other things that we do is we do call-out boxes in our content. So it might be a hot tip, an expert tip, or it might be a, an extra learning resource. But again, that can be, to a certain extent, generated by AI because, you know, you can get a whole bunch of ideas from AI to say, well, what's an expert tip that would go along with how do I clean my fountain pen? What's a an, what's a solvent that you should use? And so, again, it's about creating a visually interesting article that flows, that's easy to read, where there's um, people are, are, are genuinely going to engage with that article. I'm trying to think of other ideas for you, but we do things like we will um, embed videos 
into an article because, again, a video slows down the bounce rate. So people read, 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 and then they watch a video, and that means a higher dwell time on that page. We're doing things like um, creating audio versions of the blog article and embedding those at the top of the article because, again, that's great for accessibility. So a lot of these are actually AI-driven, like AI-generated, but because we are, I suppose, curating the content together and making it the best possible experience for a visual learner, someone with accessibility issues, someone with motor skills, and also just, you know, you know, neuronormal kind of people, it fulfills Google's sort of desire to have engaging content that is useful for the readers. So, it, Neil, it really is still just all these fundamentals. It's just don't use AI and slap it up on your blog and, like, expect the best things to happen. I think what's going to happen in the future is I don't think there's necessarily going to be penalties. I just think that Google's going to ignore that content. I think the AI LLMs that scrape the internet, they will recognise that they don't want to eat their own tail. They don't want to, you know, they don't want to, they don't want to eat their own dog food. So they're going to ignore that kind of content. So you know, if someone creates a unique thought leadership piece or something that's, you know, really interesting and creative, like the fun, fun pieces I was talking about before, then that's kind of how to future proof against AI generated content, sort of any sort of harm that might come from it. That's fantastic advice. I love the advice on the table because it shows that there's a human that is actually putting effort into creating something yeah. unique. And that is a self-fulfilling prophecy right there of what Google wants. So uh, that's really brilliant. Obviously, the marketers listening may be going, well, that's that's a hassle. That's going to take too much time. But I think that's sort of the idea that, you know, Google wants you to spend the time because quality content creates time. It can't be automated. So I think that speaks to a, a lot of great things. You know, we've covered a whole spectrum of, of issues. And I think that you know, I'm not going to say there's a Zen of AI, but the way you describe it, it's like, well, we can use it. It's okay to use it here, but not there. And I think for you, it's very intuitive and natural. I think for a lot of marketers, they're still trying to sort of wrap their arms around it. But is there any other, you know, vis-a-vis e-commerce marketing, any other tips around AI that you would offer that we haven't covered today? It, it definitely is a gray zone, right? But it also is area of opportunity when used right. Yeah, like, Neil, I just want to come back to that point you said about the marketers finding it hard to wrap their heads around. I want to sort of say, think of it like Photoshop for graphic designers. So before Photoshop was invented, back in the 80s, late 80s, to create a logo, you'd have to draw it with paintbrush and pen. And then you had a bromide machine that was $10,000 that would take a photo of it with a negative plate, uh, send it away to the publishing house. And then Photoshop came on for $800. We now have millions of very cheap quality, you know, poor quality $10 logos available on the internet that you can just buy, right? You can just buy a $10 logo and Bob's your uncle, off you go, you've got a business logo. But think of it like Photoshop. It's just a tool in your arsenal to learn how to use. How do you use Photoshop? Well, you take a course, you you fiddle around with it, you experiment with it, you dive into it and you learn your own way. So you learn shortcuts with it, all of this sort of thing. So if marketers are struggling, just think of it like Photoshop or like any other, you know, graphic design tool or um, layout tool that you're adept at. And that's all that this is. It's just another tool. So that's if that can be my sort of tip to people is how to embrace this technology is it's not scary. It's just another tool. You just have to sit down and learn it. And that's all there is to it. 
Yeah, I think it, it sort of reminds me of the evolution of Canva, where it's like, oh my yeah. gosh, it's so easy. It, when you talk about Photoshop, it's so easy to create an image. It's like, wait, I can create like presentations in Canva. I can do this with Canva, not with Canva. And you sort of, you have your horizons expanded. So that was really, really, really relevant advice. Well, Katrina, this has been awesome. Any other, you know, I know that you speak a lot on e-commerce, e-marketing, uh, e-commerce marketing and SI, SEO and, you know, content and AI. Any other advice you want to uh, give the listeners today that we didn't cover? Uh, not really. I think we covered it like a lot in there where we could, you know, it's either we, we, we cover another 10 hours worth or not. I think it's, um, I really think that I th- if I was going to say to people is, Make sure you have a human involved in it. Try to avoid the temptation to create cheap content because it doesn't serve the reader and it doesn't serve Google, who is the main controller of the internet at the moment. So step cautiously. Don't dive into the technology and just create a huge amount of automated content. Always have your reader and your customer in your heart and in your mind with it. And then when you create authentic content, it will always be effective. It's just, yeah, just just avoid those shortcuts for the moment while the technology is being worked out and the market's working out what they're going to do with it and how they're going to deal with it. Awesome. Katrina, thank you so much. And, you know, I forgot at the very beginning, we went into your backstory, but if you could also introduce your current company <laughs> and obviously how those that are listening can reach out to you should they need help with their uh, e-commerce or content marketing. Yeah, sure. sure. So, Neil, we're called copysmiths.com. And we're specialists in e-commerce content. So basically what we do is all types of content for e-commerce stores. We understand how to get our brand awareness, customer engagement and traffic to stores, which is more important than ever at the moment when people's revenue streams are being crushed by pay-per-click, you know, pay-per-click's going up. All of our clients who have um, organic traffic flowing into their stores, they're sitting pretty because they've got just this very even flow of sales. So that's what we do is we're specialists in just creating content for e-commerce stores that brings traffic. Brilliant. You know, hopefully if anybody is interested in getting Katrina and her company's help, they'll they'll reach out. I'll make sure the link and, uh, you know, if people want to reach out to you on LinkedIn, I assume you're cool with that. So we'll drop yes, the link definitely. in the corner. Yeah, I've dropped the link in the show notes as well. And just want to thank you again for, I know you woke up very, very early to be on this uh, live stream. So thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Neil. Well, that was a fantastic interview with someone that is truly an expert in all things e-commerce marketing. I had a chance to really get to know Katrina well before, during, and after this interview and just really impressed and inspired. And e-commerce is something that, although you might think if you're a B2B industry, if you don't sell directly to customers, it is irrelevant. But I find that a lot of the things that we learn about e-commerce can really be applied in any industry. So I hope you had that same mindset when you were listening to that episode. All right. Well, we're getting closer to the end of the year. And well, I would love an early end of the year present. If you have a chance to go into your favorite podcast app and just take a minute to write a really, really quick review of this podcast, I would be honored. Uh, This is currently episode number 345, and I'm sure you've heard the saga before, but we're still sitting at 60 reviews on Apple Podcasts. want to do my best to try to encourage you, if you've gotten anything out of any one of these episodes, to just leave a very, very quick mention. I'd be honored. I'd love to give you a shout out on this podcast. Just go over to Apple Podcasts to my podcast page 
it should be pretty easy to figure out where to write a review. And I would absolutely be honored. That is my ROI of doing these podcasts. That's exactly what it is. So, hey, that's it. That's all I got for you this week. We'll be back again at you next week. Until the next episode, this is your digital marketing coach, Neil Schaefer, signing off. You've been listening to your digital marketing coach. Questions, comments, requests, links, go to podcast.neilshafer.com. Get the show notes to this and 200 plus podcast episodes at neilshafer.com to tap into the 400 plus blog posts that Neil has published to support your business. While you're there, check out Neil's digital first group coaching membership community. If you or your business needs a little helping hand, see you next time on your digital marketing coach.